The Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. So I'm delighted to welcome Alan Baker on today's episode. Now, Alan has decades of experience building and leading all the way to exit technology ventures across a diverse range of industries, really, including cybersecurity, ERP, and IT infrastructure. He's currently the CEO of Clario Tech, a disruptive cybersecurity venture. So, uh, Alan, welcome to the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan. Thank you, Gary. It's a pleasure to have this conversation. Lovely to have you on board. Now, Alan, let's begin with the subject that the entire world is obsessed with during the past few months, the uh, coronavirus. How has that impacted Clario? And have you implemented any strategies or policies as a direct result of the pandemic? Yeah, Gary, as you say, it's hard to avoid, obviously something that's just unprecedented in our history beyond world wars. So I don't think anybody could in any way plan for something like this until it happens. And then it's about the speed of reaction to try to minimize the impact on your business. Clario is a, is a B2C cybersecurity company. And we didn't even have a work from home policy in our business. We have 850 people in the company and we had to move remote within less than a week. And surprisingly, we achieved that without any major hiccups. But also, what's also surprising for us is the productivity has gone up noticeably, actually, since we've started working remotely. It does take a, a different way of thinking. You can't afford to let people feel isolated. You have to think about how do you keep team spirit? How do you keep productivity going? So we do a lot more team meetings. I drop in on team meetings for everything through engineering, product, marketing, HR, finance. And also we have evening events. We do drink sessions. We have quiz shows. We, we do lots of, of things like that. So there was a really good tight culture in the business, but you can't afford to sit back and see how that evolves. You have to ensure that people don't feel any more isolated than they already do. And you mentioned that productivity has gone up. A surprise to hear that in some ways. What are the reasons behind the increase in productivity? And do you think, having seen that, that improvement, that you might actually retain some or many of these practices even after the lockdowns are lifted? Yeah, the productivity, I think it's because people are sitting focused on their laptop or their workstation, and they're not doing that usual social conversation. In our offices, we have lots of coffee meeting points. It's, it's very Google-esque. And we also have great restaurants. So as a result of that, there's a lot of social activity in our business. And I guess both the downside, but the plus of working remotely is there's less opportunity to do that. Now, clearly, that means that the quality of your day is slightly less social, but the productivity you get from far more focus on getting a job done, getting a set of tasks done is much sharper. And that, beyond doubt, is 
increased productivity. Is that an uplift across the board or are some people struggling with the isolation? And if that is the case, with those individuals, are you taking any specific steps to help motivate them or help them overcome their challenges? We are constantly on the lookout for anybody. It's a very stressful environment for everybody. And Clario is going through a, a lot of work at the moment in terms of launching a new product, enhancing an existing product, and breaking into a market with a big product launch. So that has deadlines attached to it. So it's put people under a lot of pressure. When you look at engineering, product management areas, that's harder when individuals are isolated. So what we have is every team leader talking to us about where they think people appear more vulnerable or more stressed. And then we try to engage with them. Management talk to people. We have lots of conversations about at an individual level as well. So again, I think you just have to avoid being complacent. And just because it seems okay, just don't assume you, you shouldn't keep looking to make sure there's more areas you need to fix. You also asked me, Gary, just one other point, which was about what are we doing as a result of this? And we will definitely now adopt a working from home policy for people, particularly as COVID's predictability set to continue for at least 12 months, I suspect. We will ensure that no vulnerable people or, and very importantly, Nobody that has vulnerable people in their family that they are in contact with or live with return to the office and will continue to work remotely. We'll also think about how do we do that for people with young families now. We think we can be far more accommodating with them now we've proven the model works. Good to hear that uh, you're looking after the family, <laughs> the Clario family. So well. <laughs> prompts me to ask the question, from a talent and hiring perspective, have you continued to hire throughout the pandemic? And have you been able to do that remotely using Zoom and so on? Or has that been a challenge for you because you prefer to meet people in person? Really interesting question, Gary. We've hired in the last four months about 35 people, not in the UK. But all of those interviews have been done via Zoom or Google Hangouts. And we haven't found any problem with that. I think the harder thing is for the candidate rather than for the hiring manager. Because the hiring process is very much a one-on-one -on -one or then have one-on-ones with several people through the organization, depending on the role. But for the incoming candidate, it's much tougher because you're not experiencing the office environment. You're not meeting potentially in a process we would allow them to meet peer group people more. So that piece is a little bit more difficult. And then we've also developed quite smart onboarding processes that accommodate the remote onboarding. So again, that's a different experience to people. And there's no doubt that will slow probably the pace on which it takes people to get fully up to speed. But at the same time, that needs must, and we seem to be managing quite well. Let's move on from the pandemic and the lockdowns. I know you're a huge believer in disruption, disrupting business models and entire industries. How is Clario disrupting the cybersecurity market? So, Gary, the attraction for me, I, I always try to look at something 
from macro principles. And if I look at the macro drivers within cybersecurity, most of the companies in this space are 10 years old or older. They typically have a business-to-business forecast, a focus, sorry, and have then a B2C capability attached to it. Clario is B2C and also B2B2C, and I'll talk about that a little bit later perhaps. So what I saw was both the original types of companies in this space were very focused on the original tenant of cybersecurity, which was antivirus. And then I looked at both the size and the market, what are the underlying trends in this market? And what you see is since 2015 through to the end of 2021, the prediction is that cyber crime costs will go from $3 trillion to $6 trillion. So it's growing at over 35% compounded a year. And we have all of these companies purporting to protect people, and clearly it's not working. So then I looked at it from another side, and I went, okay, what is the reason it's not working? And you know, a lot of these companies have multiple products. They have the capability of helping people. So what, what's wrong? And the realization was that there's no engagement. There's a model that suggests that it's a download and forget model. You occasionally have a scan that you see that spinning wheel. It counts viruses. And nobody really takes any notice of it or whether or not the virus is important. You realize you need some antivirus because you need to protect your device. But you only think of it at a laptop level. So I'm looking at it thinking, right, cybercrime on mobiles is massively on the increase. It's not just antivirus. It's mostly ID theft. It's intrusions into your home via your home network. It's skimming when you're buying online, which is now the only life most of us have from a digital purchasing perspective during COVID particularly. So everything you saw was no engagement from an individual. Technology companies who have become complacent in the way they deal with people. And the only headlines about cybercrime is when recently EasyJet have been hacked. Right before that, it's Facebook several times, it's BA recently, major hotel groups. And about 1.2 million records typically in America that were the best stats are for this are lost per day. And they only talk about the fine, they don't talk about the individual. So Clario. The principle I apply to this is how do we engage people? And then I looked at why wouldn't you engage? Because you lock your front door or you have double locks on it, you have locks on your windows, you have alarm systems, you have insurance. In every part of your life, your digital life is more or less unprotected. It's like leaving your front door open. And the risks are just as great. The penalty and the consequence of cybercrime against you is just as great. Why wouldn't you take responsibility for it? So what we did with Clario is, is think about how do we engage with you? So the whole tone of voice and why we are so disruptive, our tone of voice has no technical jargon. We cover every aspect of your digital footprint, but we don't talk about it, about VPN and antivirus or all of the technical jargon that most people are left cold by. We talk about six areas and it's totally personalized. So when you join Clario, we ask questions about your lifestyle. Then we talk about how do we protect your data, your network, your device, your identity, your browsing, and your money. And they are the things that people worry about, not the technical jargon behind it. And the other thing then, Gary, which was a big kind of 
realization for me. If companies like Facebook, having had such huge fines that have gone into $4 billion plus, can't protect your data, and government agencies can't protect your data, how can we claim to protect a consumer 100% of the time? Many antivirus companies actually make that statement. We protect you 100% from viruses, which is a small piece of the problem. So what we've done is build for the first time actually build people into the application. So a typical thing will happen with us is you might come home and you'll get a message and this is a tone of voice. And because we've gone through a personalization process, you'd walk into your house, Gary, and it'll say, hey, Gary, just to let you know, there's been two attempted intrusions on your home wireless. One is fixed or both are fixed and you're good to go. Or one is fixed, but the other is a problem. And then you get a drop-down screen on whether it's your mobile device or your laptop that says, choose a time on which one of our technical experts can connect with you. So we are not asking you to reach out. We're asking you to give us a time. And then from within the app, one of our technical experts contacts you, knows exactly what the problem is because that's been fed through the system, and then tells you how you deal with it and walks you through it step-by-step or if you prefer it, would actually go onto your device and correct any problem they can. And we believe that combination of simple user interface, intuitive tone of voice, a friendly approach to this instead of scaring people, mixed with that technical expertise when you need it most, is fundamentally different to anything in the market. Lovely. So we're going to hear a lovely Welsh accent on the interface, is that right? Or is that just a... Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm from a mining area of South Wales, so my hometown is Merthyr Tidville, which some people will probably know. Yeah, so very Welsh. Because I heard, I think it was sometime last year, maybe the year before, that uh, call centres and so on, staffed by people from Wales, are particularly well regarded because the accent just resonates so well with so many people. Oh, that's good to hear, actually. And um, one of our, a couple of our people are, are Welsh, so, uh, and they're very much on the tone of voice and the copy that we use in the business. And Gary, by the way, in, in our product, nothing that you come across will, be, will have jargon in it. I literally woke up one morning in very early hours and realized we hadn't addressed our legal notices. So I had our legal team change the copy on any contract style or privacy notice or cookie policy to make it simple and make it clear and totally transparent. So everything about what we do is consumer-centric and our drive is to become a consumer champion in this space to educate people, make them feel comfortable so that they take responsibility for this. Clario's kind of strap line is we go together because we can't do this without you. You have to engage in this with us. So without that tone of voice and without that friendly user interface, we don't think it's possible to get you to the place we think you should be to protect yourself online and your privacy. We think that's one of the major failings of the technology-based companies that are out there at the moment. You mentioned B2B to C earlier on. So are you engaging with corporate clients or corporate partners in the same jargon-free way? And are you also able to emphasize simplicity 
throughout all of those engagements? Yeah, it's a great question, actually, Gary, because my vision when I joined the company was because I wanted to create the company, actually, but because I wanted to think about this from a completely different perspective, my kind of thought process was if we did what Uber did or did what Airbnb did or Monza, which was you still have that technical capability or what that traditional capability was in an industry, but your game-changing approach is about the user experience and the user interface. And that's very much the, the method that we've applied to Clario. And in doing that, I also thought about partners. And the traditional partners the AV providers would have would be to have you embedded on a laptop when you buy it. And when you first open your laptop, they push antivirus at you and try to convince you to sign up for something. You kind of do it out of habit and not thinking about its true value. And as I said, it's now mobile phones. It's every device that you're at risk on and just protecting a device-centric cybersecurity approach is fundamentally wrong. This has to be every aspect of the digital footprint. The device is old-fashioned as a point of principle. So we've also thought about who should you partner with in this space? And what's interesting for us is we, I've looked at it from, well, who suffers from cybercrime? It's individuals, but it's also e-commerce companies, it's insurance companies and banks, it's telecoms companies, anybody that has a method on which you're doing online activity, online commerce, actually is affected by this. And cybercrime is very difficult to solve. Individuals rarely, if ever, get any kind of support for it or any recompense for cybercrime. So how do you get... A resolution for this. My daughter recently had an Uber account hacked. You can't speak to Uber. There's no telephone number. It took her ages to find them to cancel stuff. And then by the time she went to the bank, it took the bank nearly nine months to refund her. That used to happen in days. So you can understand, you can start to see the impact of cybercrime in our everyday lives. So our partners that really interested, and we've got one or two that we're very close, hopefully, to signing, uh, in a different space entirely. It's telecoms companies, ISP providers, insurance companies, and it'll be also e-commerce and banks going forward in the way we want to partner because we're providing a consumer-engaging product, and it's much easier for them to understand that and also want to offer that out to their customer base. Okay. That's an interesting strategy. It'd be great to see those offerings roll out in the in the next few quarters so what are your aspirations for clario over the next few years what are you going to achieve between now and say end of may 2023 oh wow that's a great question uh, it's i keep saying to my team and it's very much up my strategy when i'm trying to push people I always want to break through glass ceilings for people. And most of us have self-imposed limitations. And one of the, the things that I think is a, drives effective results and also good leadership is to get people to think beyond that. So my philosophy is aim for the stars always. And even if you miss it and you land on the moon, you're a very long way up. <laughs> so my ambition for the company is, you know, we believe we're going to grow at 
40% plus, hopefully a lot more than that over the next few years. And we will have changed completely the face of cybercrime by both having consumers fully understand it and engaging, but also large corporates and governments thinking differently about the way they handle cybercrime. The philosophy behind it today is to hide behind your own firewalls as a large corporate or government. But that's not actually helping solve the problem in society. And yes, there's government agencies in America, in the UK. There's websites you can go to. A fraction of probably 1% of the population are even aware they exist. But sometimes people think that they tick a box by doing these things. This is a pandemic. And in a period of pandemics, it may be lost. But equally today, people have never been more vulnerable because they're at home totally dependent on technology for the first time. And it also has created a massive increase in cyber activity. We've seen malware rise 40% into our support centers. COVID-based scamming has gone up enormously because people are scared and vulnerable. So what we want to do is just get to a point where people start to really understand the risks and know how to protect themselves and that Clario is at the center of that revolution into this market where people realize this is a principal concern for people and they need to address it. Of course, in doing that, we're a very successful company. So yeah, it's keep growing and be a total disruptor into what is a very traditional market sector. So what's the biggest single challenge that you and your team will need to overcome to deliver on that vision? Apathy. And (laughs) and that apathy comes from whenever you disrupt something into a market, this is somewhat different, Gary, because we're not trying to sell something that doesn't exist or where there's no demand. So this is very unusual and, and in many ways a lot easier. I've actually in the past launched products and businesses where you're actually trying to break a new principle or concept into a market. And I used to say to people, does anybody wake up in the morning going, do I need this? And when the answer is, I don't know because I don't know what this thing is, you have to go through an education process to build education leading to demand. So for me, there's some of those principles in this, which is people today will buy through antivirus needs, or will buy through VPN, which has grown as a sector, particularly in the last two or three years. But they don't truly understand the purposes and the, the value of it. So our role is to make people understand the points of vulnerability of every aspect of your life, for you and your family. It's to explain to people who've got young kids that they leave an indelible footprint online that will stay with them for the rest of their lives and their careers. And it's about time people started to educate people both at school levels and all the way through into adult life. So we want to work with just making it clear to people that this is so important that you need to be aware of it. We can succeed without driving that total awareness. But then I will have also felt we haven't succeeded in our objective, which is to change people's total perception of what it takes to protect yourself online, both from a 
digital security, traditional security perspective, but also privacy. What am I agreeing to? If something's free, that means they're trading my data. And how comfortable are you for somebody to literally stand over your shoulder, watching everything you do, what you buy, what you spend, how you spend it, who you connect with, how do you communicate with people? All of those things today are freely available because you have unknowingly or unwittingly traded those. And it's just to make people aware of all of those aspects as well. Wow. Okay, that's uh, that's thought provoking. Talking of provoking thought, who are the tech entrepreneurs and investors who have most inspired you, who have most provoked your thinking, your brain cells to ponder and evaluate their ideas and innovations? I talk to, I mentor a lot of people and any chance I have to even um, help young people and give them some guidance, I've always done that. And I was chatting with somebody the other day, and they were talking about is sales a good option for people if a you know, university degree, most of your parents would think that would be a waste of time if you went out and become a salesperson. You start to think about what is the, the route to your eventual kind of career goals. And the realization is, is most people who run technology companies today come from two routes. They've either really great technologists who had amazing ideas, particularly on the West Coast of America, and they build these huge tech unicorns. And by the way, that's where I want Clara to become is a tech unicorn, if you really want to know what my aspiration is. But also the other route is to be most of the CEOs you come across today in technology companies have come via a sales channel because if you don't know how to promote and sell your product, that's ultimately what you're trying to achieve. So when I look at the influences to me, it's easy to look at people like Bill Gates. I mean, what they've done is change an industry. Reid Hoffman with LinkedIn did something absolutely incredible. But I also like the Larry Ellisons of this world. I work for Oracle. And also people non-tech related, you can't almost, to me, talk about entrepreneurship without looking at Virgin. And when you see that, you realize that the message you put out there, if I look at Oracle, for example, they weren't the best database during the database wars. There were five or six companies out there with equal or better databases. But Oracle were brilliant at marketing and getting the message across to people. And that was really Larry Ellison's secret sauce. He knew how to position a product. He could improve and build a product once he had a customer base. And you know what? People who had the better products that didn't know how to market it don't exist today. And I think it's that realization that, yes, you need a great technology. And, and I believe fundamentally in what we do with Claro is that we've develop an outstanding product. But if you don't know how to get that message across to people, and if you don't know how to pull on that engagement, if you can't explain value, and I and over the years of my career, Gary, I've met so many companies and a lot of the transformations I've done in businesses is to take super technical products who position themselves technically into opening up 
the commercial realization about what value means to people. And if you can't highlight that value, if you can't signpost that value, you rarely achieve the aspirations you have for business. And, and for me, the technologists that have been great at marketing, what iPhone has done is remarkable, right? I remember everybody was a race to the smallest, cheapest phone. And along comes the iPhone, which is bigger and more expensive. <laughs> and then you look at people like James Dyson. Who would have thought you'd spend 500 pounds on a vacuum cleaner or more when people thought, you know, 60, 70, 80 pounds for a vacuum cleaner was all they wanted to spend? It was brilliant marketing, great technology, but brilliant marketing to make people think that suddenly a vacuum cleaner was a trend item for people. And also, there's a realization as well for me, Gary. I, when I did economics at university, it was very hard to break the economic rule of supply and demand price is fixed by greater demand than supply or drops as is greater supply than demand. And it was very hard to think of the opposite of that, which was what people termed ostentatious buying, which was fur coats, diamonds, and Rolls Royces at the time. But today, our society has different types of aspirations, and it's to have the best branded goods. It's to have the best training shoes. It's to have something that they perceive is a reflection of success for them. So you have to realize how you engage with people. And for us, and, and what's important for me and what I've learned from a lot of the amazing entrepreneurs out there, is you have to understand how to engage your audience. And you have to make sure that there's an emotional attachment to your message and that they see a need for this because you've built that need because you understand the psychology of that need. And that's why there's a range of people that I admire because they've managed to blend that technology with that building of awareness and that messaging out to people that resonates at a moment in time. And that emotional connection and engagement with your audience? Do you think that's just as vital for B2B companies as it is for B2C? Yeah, absolutely. Because when I've coached people in B2B industries, Gary, too often people feel that they've just gone through a step-by-step -step process and therefore they've pitched their product brilliantly, they've got great feedback, and they believe they're going to close the sale. But industry has changed, and the way we think about investments today has changed. Whether you're in a recruitment industry or whether you're in a software industry, you feel like you may have beaten your competitor to be the preferred supplier to a particular service or product, and then don't understand why the deal doesn't happen. And the realization is your competition is initially companies in the same space as you. And once you're past that point, the competition is with what else can I spend my money on? Is this good commercial sense? And if you don't understand why somebody is buying something, the difference it will have to their company, the why hire this person versus this person, why buy this product versus refitting a factory or refitting a store or warehouse. All of those things now compete with capital in a business. So if you're lazy and you don't understand the value and the emotional reason somebody's buying or the commercial 
reasons somebody's buying, but the value proposition is clear, then you get caught out by surprise because you simply don't understand why it didn't happen. So it's, for me, very important that you understand your audience, that you understand what motivates people to buy and not just hope if you present a great product out there. You know, that field of dreams moment of build it and they will come is very naive. That's uh, superb advice, Alan. Well, Alan, thank you so much for uh, joining me today and sharing your vision for Clario and your aim to protect each and every one of us from the uh, nasty cyber criminals. And hopefully you'll get to build your field of dreams over the next few years. Thank you, Gary. I really enjoyed it. And um, hopefully your audience does too. Thanks so much. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.